0: everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the professional book nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. Emma here. So this episode is a special one. It was our first interview with all three of us. Joe, Jill, and I had the pleasure and honor to talk to Julia Whelan about her narration for the audiobook of The Latecomer by Jean Humph Corlitz. So the latecomer follows the story of the wealthy New York City-based Oppenheimer family from the first meeting of parents Salo and Joanna under tragic circumstances to their triplets born during the early days of IVF. As children, the three siblings, Harrison, Lewin, and Sally feel no strong familial bond and cannot wait to go their separate ways, even as their father becomes more distanced and their mother more desperate. When the triplets leave for college, Joanna, faced with being truly alone, makes the decision to have a fourth child. What role will the latecomer play in this fractured family? So the latecomer is out May 31st. And we got to sneak in some questions to Julia to kick off Audiobook Month. We learned about her experience as a narrator, what drew her to this project, working on The Latecomer. We discuss hobbies and her famous recipes. So we hope you enjoy. And special thanks to Macmillan Audio.
1: Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
2: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
1: So can you start by telling us a little bit about The Latecomer by Jean hanif corlitz
2: Sure. Yes. Um, the Latecomer uh, is a family story about um, a wealthy New York uh, family who, uh, it takes us from like the very first meeting of the parents. Um, to the circumstances that blow the family apart and how they repair themselves. Um, So it is about a a couple who decide through IVF to have children and uh, they end up having triplets, um, which is all the mother has ever wanted. She's wanted nothing more than to have a perfect family that loves each other, except that the triplets basically like come out of the womb, not wanting anything to do with each other. And uh, when they uh, are 17 and about to fledge and go to college, and her husband is growing increasingly distant, uh, she decides she basically wants to start over and uh, has a fourth child, and that is the latecomer. And what uh, the, the book is about family tragedy and family history um and the circumstances that pull us together and the circumstances that pull us apart and it is so beautifully written um and it is funny and insightful and the characters are incredibly deep and I could go on and on and on and on so I'm just going to stop myself right there
0: (laughs) that's actually perfect because that is my next question is just what drew you to the late comer I think you uh, probably get a lot of pitches to narrate things and and probably have to be quite choosy with what you can narrate. And so we're just wondering what specifically drew you to this story?
2: Good question. Um, so first of all, I have a really good working relationship with the producer on this. Uh, Katie at McMillan, who um, had cast me in the Kristen Hannah books and um, is just a delight and kind of knows my sensibility. Um, and I, Jean Hand Corlitz had obviously been on my radar for a number of years and she'd always been kind of like an author that I, I wanted to, to work with. Um, and so that on, that on its own, like if it had just been Katie and Jean, I would have done everything I could to make it work. But the, the premise I found, uh, fascinating, I couldn't believe that something that seemed like this simple had never been done before, um, where what happens when, uh, an embryo that has been frozen and is basically the same genetic material as its siblings um, is born that much later. I thought that was fascinating. And I was like, just from that one line, kind of the log line of this, it's like, yes, in, want to know what happens.
3: It's such a fascinating idea, and I'll I'll bring TikTok in. I've seen quite a few kids in this situation start to pop up on my For You page where it's like, oh, my siblings and I are technically the same age, but I was born 10 years later when my parents decided it was time for another go at it and i'm i'm super excited to kind of that see is this so happening
2: interesting right hey okay, it's happy well i guess we're at that <laughs> point now where ivf has like been around long enough that this is this is possible right That's we're so seeing crazy.
3: we're seeing all those kind of success stories and and just happy people come about um but on kind of the flip side of happy what was the most challenging part of narrating this title
2: um it was first of all. It wasn't challenging, and that it was. It was an absolute joy, um, of course. from beginning to end. It, no, it really was. And I mean, I would be I would be honest about that if something were difficult. But I think that in terms of challenging is a good word because mm-hmm. I knew um, one of the potential pitfalls was that it is a it is a long book and it is not it's not a like fast paced thriller sort of book where like long books will tend to have, they will have set pieces. You will be moving from like action point to action point. Um, And this is just like the definition of a brilliant, slow build. And to me, her writing is so fantastic that the narrative voice, like I'm in, nothing could happen, literally nothing could happen. And I would still be in and want to know everything about this book because her writing is so incredible but for me I realized that for a listener um because you know when you're listening versus reading like those hours add up (laughs) um and I realized that what kind of needed to happen is that um the narrative voice needed to be its own character in a way that you had to create a relationship with the listener they had to kind of understand who that voice was and then trust them to take them through this story so for me um that was my approach was to create a friendly interesting like you're sitting down with a friend who's telling you this story um that was my challenge
3: i think that's a pretty great challenge to have to take on that you, uh, yeah you had I have something... no problem with
2: that <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely yeah, not all day long please
3: <laughs> definitely your wheelhouse but also just the opportunity to kind of take a story that you were so driven to and and build upon it
2: yeah it was really exciting
1: I will say that one thing that we and I think anyone who loves the books that you narrate is that you bring so much life to the different characters you know like what is your process for that? How do you go about finding that voice or energy to make the character so distinct?
2: Very good question. Um, I, I, it does, it does vary book to book depending on what the particular task is or what the category is or genre, but, but fundamentally I will look at, um, whatever instinct I have as a, as an actor of just the way these characters hit me when I'm doing my prep read, uh, is really the, 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 that's what is the foundational choice that I take with me into building the characters. But then I'm always also looking at which characters, uh, interact the most. So I kind of have a constellation of characters that are constantly in dialogue with each other so that I am aware aware of differenti- differentiating those characters first and foremost. Um, so in this case, I mean, luckily, the the triplets, for instance, have such distinct personalities that even when they're together and in conversation, it's very clear who is talking just because their, their personalities are so um, present in their dialogue and the way that they attack things. Lewin being a little bit more back-footed, you know, Harrison um, dominating everything. Um, and Sally just generally being miserable. And so like there's a, uh, that, that is, that's what I'm always trying to do is to build a full cast of characters that are not only being consistent to who they are, but who they are in relationship to the other ones.
0: That's great. And I think it's so interesting with narrating how, you can make those distinct characters just with changes in your tone and your voice. I'm going to be like Joe here for a second. And I did also see a TikTok of an audio book narrator reading the same line, but changing the inflection on like different words or the tone. And just those slight changes, it was like, this is how I would read it as the best friend character this. And I think that that just intuition and knowledge that you bring to these narrations is so cool because I don't think people think about all the different layers of what goes into producing and creating an audiobook. Um, and so that's a long-winded way to get to my next question, um, which is probably one you've um asked and answered before, but just what inspired you to become an audiobook narrator? Um, I know you have a background in, 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 acting and theater and stuff. And if this was like a natural progression or, or something you actively pursued. Uh, no, I,
2: I just, I, I liked um, being able to eat, <laughs> I liked paying rent. Um, and it, it was honestly something I didn't even know existed. Um, I I've told the story, you're right many times before, but I, I always like to, I like to tell it because I think it's a, it's kind of a lesson at this point to just um, following something through to its logical conclusion. And like, I had uh, one of my very good friends in college. um, Her mother is an audiobook director and producer. And at my college graduation, she came up to me and said, you know, you have this, you were, I was a child actor and I was I just graduated with a creative writing degree. And she was like, I think you might actually be really well suited to this. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And so it started with that. It started with if I could just maybe do like one book a month, that would help take the pressure off while I'm trying to act and I'm tutoring and I'm, you know, just uh, trying to make ends meet. And then I kind of like woke up about six years into it and realized it was my full-time job. And I absolutely love it and wouldn't do anything different.
3: That's Oh, that makes me happy. I mean, because we all find our passions in different ways. And I love when people get to share that it isn't a direct route, you know, it's
2: really not. And, it, and it's been so I mean, but I think if I look back over, I've been doing this, you know, 13, about 13 years now. And um, I think if I look back on it, it's like at every point where there was kind of a crossroads, I have chosen this, like at any point where I could have gone further into something else. I've been like, nah. I just, I really, but I like this. I think this is working really well for me, and um, I'm just like, I'm naturally suited to this job. But it's also something that I that fulfills me creatively, um, and is really compatible with my life. I'm uh, on, on top of all of all of the creative things about it. Um, but yeah, no, it's not a straight line. None of this is, and I think maybe <laughs> now it's different. Like people who are getting into this now because audiobooks are so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, realize that there are people behind this and I could be one of those people but when I was starting out I don't think anyone set out being like I'm gonna be an audiobook narrator we were all actors out of work (laughs) (laughs) um you know trying to just like keep keep our heads above water
3: absolutely I think of my like summer car trips with my mother spent listening to but this is where I say like Jim Dale and Tim Curry narrating children's audiobooks and right it's it's very hard to think that like yeah these there are just like all of these amazingly talented people that that is their direction and and now I love seeing that it is so much easier or understood that like you could pick up you know, the microphone. Send in your audition and and see whose books. Yeah, there's can there's narrate. so many
2: different ways to do it now. I mean, but back then it was you really had to know people, and it wasn't that it was a. Right. It wasn't that it was exclusive, or you know, it wasn't like that. It was just literally there was no. Even agents won't really deal with it because there's just not enough money to be made. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> even even agents have no idea how to break into it, and so <laughs> it's just a. Uh, now there's actually ways to do it, but then no, you kind of they had to find you.
3: absolutely well I'm glad they found you because
2: (laughs) so am I
3: (laughs) (laughs) but kind of along that same vein so athletes spend time in the gym teachers have continuing ed what do you kind of recommend people do to feel prepared um, to kind of educate themselves to get themselves moving if they want to be a narrator
2: this is truly one of those jobs where you kind of have to learn on the job. I mean, there are great coaches for this and there are great, um, now again, great teachers and there's, uh, I'm sure plenty of resources online, although I would caution people to obviously like know your source. Um, but you really can't, you can't train for this any other way than doing it. Um, because part of what has, just made me better at the job as I've gone along is having to do so many different types of books in so many different categories, um, or you start creating your little repertoire of accents because of that. So on like a very basic level, you know, I think a lot of people think this is a good idea, but I always tell people to go into like a closet and read a book out loud and see how long you can go without having to stop because of a mistake and then do it for six hours and see what your pacing is like because um, it's a very lonely, isolating, isolated job. Um, and so you've got to like that. Um, you have to really be a self-starter, um, be responsible for the work uh and and so you know it's it's something that I think sounds like a good idea it's like so many things every job someone's like oh I would love to be the CEO of a company and it's like really really Hmm." yeah I
3: don't know how often I've thought like being a CEO sounds fun but in (laughs) theory those checks sound great (laughs) in
2: theory yeah and it's like and I could run everything and I could be in charge of everything and it's like mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: I feel like there's probably a children's book if I ran the world or something like that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Cookies for lunch and then everyone gets sick. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's not (laughs) a terrible plan. It it could be worse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So with the latecomer, you know, it's your most recent. And I think you said a little bit ago that you've been doing this for, was it 13 years? Did you say?
2: I think about, yeah, about, yeah.
1: Do you have any idea how many books you've narrated over all
2: that time? I don't have an exact number, but I think I hit sometime last year. I think I hit 500.
1: That's, that's a lot of books.
2: (laughs) It's a lot of books. It's a lot of books, you know, when I, and it's kind of like a bell curve thing where when I was starting out, I was only doing, um, you know, maybe 10 or 10 to 15 books a year. And then kind of at my peak, I was doing like 70 or 80 and that was too many and now I'm back down to, I try to do like 20 to 30. Um, but yeah, it's too many. I know I'm <laughs> seeing everyone's face right now. Our <laughs> listeners will not be able <laughs> to see your faces, which is unfortunate.
0: <laughs> we can uh, do a little screen grab of our face. <laughs> absolute shock. <laughs> well, because, so I, I did look um in the prep to this, obviously I looked at um, just your, I searched your name on our um, Overdrive website just to see what results come up um, with you listed as the narrator.
2: And it was over 300. Um, yeah. So
0: those so numbers between like
2: that, right. between that honest. and then um, <laughs> the books that I've narrated under another name because of like whatever category they're under or something plus right. books that have just at this point fallen off because, you know, They've been like, I don't know, the rights were rescinded or something, but you know, those books always just like there's books that disappear. So
0: right. Yeah, well, right. and so I'm gonna um sort of toot your horn a little bit. You're
2: our I don't even know what happened.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a pretty in demand audiobook narrator. I mean, you're narrating for Emily Henry and Taylor Jenkins Reed and Kristen Hanna and some of these really huge um authors i know that you also write your own books um you've won you know earphone awards and just all of these things to really recognize um your skills in narration and so i'm wondering how you even decide what books you'd like to take on um or if you like stick to certain genres or if it's just you know a, i'm sure it's a combination of things but i'm just curious how you even whittle down, you know, the things that you're going to sign on to do each year with limited time?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question that I don't really have an answer for because it's kind of ever-changing. I mean, first and foremost, it really is about schedule. Especially when I'm in the process of writing something, I have to be really judicious with what I take on, because as you can probably imagine, like it's very difficult to stay in my own, the voice of whatever particular book I'm working on while also then jumping in and narrating someone else's voice, um, you know, and switching that up every couple of weeks into a new book. It's tough. So mostly it's about schedule. And then I obviously will like prioritize the authors that I have a relationship with. And they're so freaking prolific that like, if I'm doing Taylor and Emily's books, that's like one a year at least. um, and, and then beyond that it's kind of like what happened with the latecomer, where it's just a, a, an author who's on my radar um, and then knowing the producers who know me, I think they're kind of like the unsung heroes of audiobooks or the the producers that um, get to know you and know your particular take and your uh, your skill set and they just, bring the books to you and that is that that is a a relationship that I really cherish because if they if they have something for me then I'm gonna take it seriously where it's like oh you really think I'd like this okay
3: that is fair we get pitches in a similar way of like Hey Joe, I think I'm figuring out that if I bring you a book about a group of witches you're probably gonna want to read and talk about it uh, same right. thing if it's anything vaguely queer we're sending it your way like they've already kind of punched my card on what I want and it's been like five months so I can't even imagine having all those relationships you have but also just like the the voices you've developed there are plenty of people who get to listen to you and say. I think Julia is the perfect one to read my author or my character, this author.
2: Yes. I think that's, it. I think that's true. And I, I do, that's why I do appreciate it because at this point, I think that very rarely do I get a book where I've even just from the synopsis, like I'll see something, I'll be like, why would you ever have thought of me for this? Um, sure. So some, something's working like they we've the, that um, process has been refined for sure.
3: <laughs> They're definitely figuring it out <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> Yeah, And now you mentioned before, uh, for those of us who listen to audiobooks, it's a bit of a time commitment. um, And you're always kind of mindful of that hearing that I love it, you know, just love to hear that piece. But on your end, um, do you prefer to read your books or listen to them?
2: I know I'm so, oh God, I always feel embarrassed <laughs> with this, this point, because I really don't listen to audiobooks. and I have to own that. I'm sorry. I do. Cause then if I lie about it then people are like, well, what have you been listening to recently? And I'm like, Bleh. but the, the biggest issue is that I, first of all, don't have a commute. I walk from my bedroom to my kitchen, to my booth. Um, and you know, I live with my own voice in my head all day. And, um, when i'm out when i'm done i can't i can't have more narrative i can't have more books going on in my head i just want to you know listen to a podcast or listen to music or watch a show um i just i can't do it i don't even read though to be fair like very i i just also same same principle can't really have other books going on
3: well and you also as you mentioned like you are an author as well you're already combating your own voice to try to craft something and the voice yeah. you're creating to share something I it, it can't be super easy to be reading no or listening on top of that
2: <laughs> it's too much and in fact I, that's why like it's a very interesting business to be in because like I love my colleagues as people you know um and I have heard very few of them actually do their job <laughs> like, I don't actually know um I mean to a certain extent I I was uh I would have cast Um, before and for nonfiction, for um, long form journalism. So like, I know people's kind of straight uh, nonfiction reads, um, but I'm sure they're brilliant, brilliant actors. I have no idea though.
1: (laughs) That's that's so fascinating to me because, as a fiction writer myself, I know that when I'm like drafting, I can't read within my genre for that same reason. Right. I just because I'm worried I will just sort of subconsciously pick up things or it'll change whatever. And so, I guess it would not have occurred to me that as an audiobook narrator, you'd have that same
2: problem in a different way. Well, this became very clear to me. I mean, look, when I first graduated, you know, like I said, I had a creative writing degree. I was trying to um, edit my thesis, which was a novel and stories. I was trying to, you know, query it and like go full, full hog down like the literary path. And when I started doing this job, um, I realized that I was not good enough at either thing yet to do both. So I was like working on like historical fiction of my own. And then I'd like go into the booth and it would be like "ya, vampire stuff and I was just like what voice am I in I have no idea what is going on anymore um and it's even now like I have to protect if I if I'm in the booth with a particularly um challenging dance like I would put the late comer into that category like as much as I enjoyed it she has a very distinct voice that needs to be Respected, and I didn't want to read anything else while I was recording that book, um, because I just it it was it's too much cross pollination.
1: So uh, actually, on that, it's good, it's good to lead. And look at that, it's like
2: you yeah. Have... Look, I'm trying to just steer us
1: <laughs> back. <laughs> um, so do you have a a routine for when you sort of get started recording a book? Like even if it's just every session to sort of, you know, put yourself in that space of what the book is or what that section is? Do you have a routine, like for the latecomer, like how would you, how did you fix that divide of of keeping things separate like that?
2: Um, I think for, it depends again, this always depends on the book for this book. I really wanted to like, once I was in the booth, stay in the booth. Um, some books after every chapter, I need to like get up and move around and just kind of like clear the energy or whatever. Um, but with this one, I was actually like, how long can I stay in here and just keep going because I think it benefits from, um, that, like I said, that slow and steady build toward a turn you don't even know is coming. And, um, that I felt for me. So it was like, once I could clear my day of everything else, once I was in the booth, I just wanted to go and not have to worry about stopping for anything. Um, just crack the door for air and kind of keep going. So, um, yeah, every book is different, but that was the process for this one.
0: That's so interesting to know. And so I'm also curious when you're sort of in this mindset, you're recording the book, you're recording the latecomer. Um, do you record like from start to finish? Like, do you start at chapter one and then record like straight through to the end? Or um, does that process change depending on the, the format of the book?
2: Uh, no, I mean, 99% of the time it is starting with the first word Ending with the last word.
0: Okay, that's so interesting for the for the audio because I don't know why I just compare it in my mind to film, and I know that like you could film things completely out of order or or depending on location and things. And so um, I was curious if you
2: do just record it chapter. That is chapter. such a good that is such a good point and like actually a very very interesting uh, theory. And there have been a couple of times where I've been like if I've done a book with alternating perspectives um where for some reason I'm doing both like I think nowadays that would usually be two narrators they would give it to but every once in a while um and especially in the early days I would I would get those books and there have been times where if the characters had very different accents or distinct perspectives I would record one character's chapters straight through and then go back and do another character's chapter straight through but I have never done the thing where I have like picked and I pick and choose scenes to go together. Um, I think it just has to do with production, uh, timelines. Like I'm usually uploading as I go. So I can't go back and, um, fix things once they're done. Um, unless, unless I want to be a huge pain in the ass, but I really don't, I really don't want to do that. <laughs>
0: That's actually perfect to the, the second half of my question, uh, which you did answer it was if you, you record things and then set, sort of send them off as you go, or if you just record and then send when everything's done,
2: it totally depends on how much leeway I have and how much time I have. Um, I, my preference is to record the whole book because if something like that happens where I'm like, oh, I want to go back and do the first chapter again then I'm not making other people do more work just myself Mm -hmm. um but typically speaking the way timelines in publishing have kind of contracted especially during the pandemic it's like by the time I actually get the recordable manuscript and I can start on it um usually they're like waiting for files so it's usually a daily upload situation
3: I can't imagine having to like <laughs> just have them already waiting for it, but that's
2: perform on demand. Yeah. <laughs> perform
3: on demand. Exactly. We're both moving forward and backwards always at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now is there uh nope. sometimes words are hard. <laughs>
2: I get it. Yeah,
3: I know. <laughs> oh yeah. Literally. Who am I talking to? <laughs> literally,
2: uh, I hear you. <laughs>
3: So what were some of your favorite audiobooks to record or even just like scenes? If you had a scene in all of your your years of narrating, is there one that stands out as super special? I know. If this is the hardest question we ask you today.
2: (laughs) I mean, this is very like choose your favorite child. Um... I mean,
3: you could choose several favorite children, but.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it's always the highs and lows, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think about um books where something just like so tragic happens i mean there's scenes from the four winds or the great alone that will like forever kind of haunt me um or an, a fun like emily henry scene that's just all banter can is is memorable um honestly and not just to bring it back to this book but in all in all honesty um without prejudice uh the um god I don't want to do this with any spoilers but uh the scene that everything kind of builds to (laughs) um the the last scene in the in the part in the I think it's part two of this book um when I was doing my prep read for that I was just going along in love with Jane's prose just you know having a wonderful time feeling like I was reading modern day George Eliot Um, with her just her incisive character stuff and her humor and her omniscience and then I you get to that one paragraph where everything becomes clear she does like three things at one time and I was reading the when just like I said the prep read and I literally like had to stand up like it just moved me up in a way I felt like a shiver come up through my legs up the back of my neck through the top of my head when I realized what she was doing and even when I got in the booth to record it same thing happened um and so it didn't matter it it didn't know it was like the repetition of it didn't matter it was like just understanding that and I I remember just like I thought about going back and redoing it and, you know, listening in and seeing like, do, is there anything I want to change? And then I thought, I think I should just honor this experience because if I've done it right, then I really hope the listener has the exact same visceral experience that they can hear in my voice, what it did to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's like what we should be doing. I really think that's like kind of what the job is, is we should be a stand-in for the reader.
3: Absolutely. And what a smart way to put it. I'm sure if you were feeling it, not only the first time, but then when you were recording it, there is no doubt that the listeners are going to feel the same energy kind of flow through you. But yeah. I that, and, that and really not to, just not to talk me. out of
2: school. <laughs> well, not to talk out of school, but I don't think she would mind me saying this. But I got an email from Jean because we had a long conversation about this book ahead of time. And that's also another thing um, where the the collaboration within author is like one of my favorite parts of this job. Um, but I told her how much I loved this scene and that like, not just because of all of the story work she was doing in it, but also just on a writing level it feels like the last paragraph of the dead. There's a very Joycey voice about it. And um, then she of course told me that she had like adapted the dead into a play. And I was like, oh my God, okay, my, ah. I'm my mind is blown. But she, when she got the audio files, she went right to that scene and listened to it and said, like, I got goosebumps, you know, just thank you so much. And I was like, okay, so we're all on the same page. (laughs) It worked. Um, Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'll say if, if my moment here is anything, I think you're going to have a lot of listeners to this episode want to read the book. (laughs) or listen listen to the book just to know <laughs> so well
2: they can read or listen or and listen. I, I think it will happen I'm telling you like it was just one of those like I have not felt that way of like like I said having to stand up since honestly the turn in Gone Girl when I got to that turn in Gone Girl and it was like whoa and it's a totally different type of book it's not that big a thing and that's that's part of what's amazing about it is for something that isn't that big that she still managed to create that kind of feeling where it like reorients your entire understanding of the book she like plants a flag and then you spin around it um realizing that everything you understood up to that point is now different moving forward anyway this is probably way too spoilery and you guys can decide what you use no it's um, not spoilery
1: it's an incentive, it's a teaser to want <laughs> okay. to read the book. I'm telling you. Okay. Um,
2: that's Drew's said, probably I- gonna be like, what were you doing? Why did you talk about this? But like, okay, there we go.
1: Um, I do want to ask about how you prep for an audiobook. You said you have like your prep read, and then you know, you you go into the recording so like how many times you end up reading a book? before you actually get to the recording of a reading? And what does that process look like?
2: Definitely once, um, for sure once, because I have to read it to create a character list of, you know, who I'm dealing with, any accent notes or any vocal traits that the author has given characters um, and any biographical data that I think is important as well. Um, And like I said, creating a constellation of who's in most relationship to each other, uh, in, in the book. Um, and then I'm also creating a a word list of words I don't know how to pronounce, um, that are sometimes real words or sometimes author invention, or I just need to have an author tell me like, how do you want this character's name pronounced? If it's T-A-R-A, are you thinking Tara or Tara? Because I just don't, I don't want to disappoint you. Like, dear God, my like greatest fear is that I somehow disappoint an author. So I, um, the, so in this particular book, there were there were a lot of pronunciations um, between the artists and some of the uh, Mormon words as well, um, and all of the Hebrew. And with that specifically, that's why I said I really want to talk to Jean about this, because I could like go find those pronunciations, except they're so specific to um. The culture of the family, which is a longstanding New York Jewish family that is not particularly uh, religious. (laughs) So what is their pronunciation like? And that's a, that's a, you know, I want to be culturally sensitive to that as well. So for me, that was really like, I wanted to talk to Jean about that. What she thought this family would say, not necessarily the correct israeli hebrew pronunciation but what this family would say and would have grown up saying so questions like that so like everything has another layer like it's not just finding the pronunciation um or the dictionary correct pronunciation but it's also honoring the context in which the word exists
1: i love it i love that that it does sort of feel like acting or you know getting into a script and understanding the characters and and all of that, that context that you need that you then bring to the narration.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's part of what is, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's, that's what makes this job still, like as long as I've been doing it, still fascinating because every book is a different task and it activates that like English major, you know, total nerd part of me that is like never satisfied unless I can be in a library. Figuring, answering questions that no other normal person needed to ask. Like that is when I'm happiest.
1: Um, you mentioned that Jean had been on your radar for a while as an author's whose books you really wanted to narrate, which is why you were so excited to do the Comer. Are there any other authors whose books you'd love to narrate that you haven't yet?
2: You know, the answer to this used to be, um, <laughs> because I, you know, the question of like, who's your dream author? And it was always Jojo Moyes for me. And um, because I just, I love, she's probably my, she's probably like my favorite author in that category. And I, I adore her and I just always accepted I would never get to do one of her books because you would never hire me to do that, um, to do, you know, a nice little British uh, love stories through time. Um, and then she went and wrote The Giver of Stars. And suddenly I was able to do it. And I, I like, I've never responded faster to an email. Like I saw the subject come in. It was like Jojo Moyes. And I was like, yes, what do you need? When, what are, what are we doing? I don't even know what I just said yes to, but absolutely. Um, so now uh, I don't really, again, and like this happens occasionally where people are just on my radar. V.E. Schwab was one of those writers. I was like, I really want to do one of these books. And then Addie LaRue happened. Um, so I feel like maybe actually the problem is if I actually answer this question and name it, it won't happen. Is that just Irish superstition kicking in? Because it's worked really well by not naming it and then it just happens for me.
3: I mean, we don't wanna we don't, don't wanna mess yeah. up here. Not here. It. not here.
2: Not here.
1: No, not here. We will not be at fault for that. So right. no. okay. <laughs> you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the next time we have you on the podcast, you can say all the ones that came to fruition in between. Exactly. So we'll just save that one for later. Put a pin in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm curious if there is something that people may not know about being a narrator, if there's like something really off the radar um, that goes into narrating that people just might not have any understanding of or, or concept of.
2: Uh, Yeah. The frailty of the human body. And what I mean is (laughs) I swear my central task while recording, like, yes, I'm concerned about characters and yes, the story and yeah, the technical aspects. I am honestly, mostly just listening for my stomach to make noise. Like even on a podcasting level, you guys understand this, like you are just waiting for, and I, it's gotten to the point where it's some kind of Pavlovian response where if I say, if the text says something like stomach or, you know, it's like it summons it, my stomach like, yes,
3: absolutely. <laughs> so
2: I feel like. Um, yeah, part of the part of the job that people don't think of because they don't see us do it, but it is a physically taxing job. I have been in physical therapy for this job many times. My spine is like giving out. Um, you are you are putting yourself in a situation where you are just meant to sit and like not move, because if you move, it can make noise um, and you're acting with your neck a lot <laughs> because you can't act with anything else. And so, yeah, I feel like probably what people, the most, the biggest thing they don't realize about the job is actually how physically um, trying it can be.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, sitting still not moving and the stamina to project and create all those you know characters and get into that. And um, I can't, imagine, I'm sure that it's very physically exhausting, especially when you do long stretches to record. I mean, you're, I I'm making some assumptions here, but you're not recording like an hour at a time. Like you're recording yeah. like a full day
2: plus of, of audio book. Well, and um, that's why I'm trying to do fewer books because frankly, I can't like mentally and physically, I just can't be in a box for eight hours a day doing that. Um, But I think that but you know that's not a luxury most people have. When you're starting out, you take anything anyone wants to give you, and you just you make it happen because you're trying to build a career. Um, so I have, uh, I mean, I I remember that. I'm always panicked that like the next book I get is going to be the last book I ever get. It's you know we just tell ourselves these stories. It's an actor mentality. <laughs> it,
3: yeah. Oof actor mentality that sounds (laughs) terrifying
2: it's bad it's bad I don't recommend it no no
3: um so aside from your stomach what is one of the kind of like funniest moments or best interruptions you've had happen while recording could also be terrible but you know perspective
2: yeah I mean this is one of the reasons I try not to keep my phone in the booth, which I technically need to, um, for like, this is gonna, this is like, again, things you don't think about, but I, I keep my phone in my booth because for emergency reasons, like literally no one would hear me if something <laughs> happened in the booth. Oh, so right. I have You're my so soundproof. Right. So I have my phone in the booth. Um, and every once in a while, like while I'm recording, I'll see a text come in with like, you know, devastating news or that's happened a couple of times where it's just the reality is just like intruding um when you're least prepared for it but you know that's also kind of life feel very philosophical right now but it's like (laughs) you're going along fine and then
3: no, I, I totally get that. I think the phone is the source of some of the greatest interruptions around. Um, I, aside from this, also do webinars to help people get started on Libby. And when we very early started though, doing those in the pandemic, um, we didn't have like a demo device set up. So I was using my phone or my iPad. And my father is wonderful and also retired and you know <laughs> 10 o'clock in retiring yeah. time is uh time to see what everyone who's working is doing right and so he was <laughs> he joined many a webinar at the beginning so I really relate to that
2: <laughs> yes yes that is so perfect oh so true
3: just a just a good old call from dad
1: hmm yep uh why are they like that no we're just kidding I love my dad. Um, (laughs) so during these like long recording sessions, um, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably do have to take a break every once in a while. Cause I think you mentioned that there were just some books where at the end of each chapter, you just kind of have to, you know, get up and, and move. Um, do you ever hit like a slump while recording where you just cannot get through it for whatever reason and, and have to walk away and come back like that?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, this is, this is the, the classic, we're all just humans doing a job and you've got to be forgiving. I have, And this is also part of my other reason for just doing fewer books um, is I want to be able to have the luxury of that. Like if I'm just not feeling it, I, I owe it to the book to be at my best and um i don't want to ever be in a position again which is you know when you're doing 70 books a year you just kind of have to get them done and i don't want to i don't want to do that like there have been you know many days where just either it's my own work or something weighing on me personally um or as a writer sometimes i just have to honor those writing days that like i don't i i i don't want to be in the booth working on you know, someone's book, thinking about my own. So, the way that I manage that is to try to build into my schedule that I'm not supposed to be doing like four finished hours a day or something. Um, you know, I want to be able to have the flexibility of that, even if they are waiting for files. But if they only get half the files they were expecting, I can make that up, you know, the next day if I need to.
0: So, it sounds like a lot of the time you are recording audiobooks because that is uh, your job and so I'm wondering in your free time um if that's a little uh, what you get up to when you're not
2: recording. Okay, so it's recently occurred to me that I don't have hobbies. Oh, I don't And <laughs> and it's not a good thing. Like it's actually a thing like I saw this kind of this just literally a few weeks ago. um, I realized that and I was like, Oh God, everything I do is, is books and I love it, but I, that's not, um, it's not good. I need to do something else. I love when I have the time. I love being in the kitchen. I love cooking. I love baking. I find it really therapeutic. And I think part of it is because I can just like put on music and, switch my brain off and I have a task that like my hands are actually doing like that's a fun new thing where it's not all my brain um but I yeah I for right now I don't have a good answer to that question because I don't actually do anything that's not uh writing or reading or recording books
3: that's It's okay to not have a good answer to that one. Uh, it's it's, it's a okay tough to one me. to ask. Well, yes, <laughs> but you'll get there. That's, I, I mean, you've manifested so many elements of your life. I think you can find a hobby. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I guess. Think- I mean, look, my biggest, I think honestly, and part of it is like my biggest advice um, is travel. And mm-hmm. since that's kind of been shut down for the last two years, like I yeah. really don't have, like that used to be what I would work, 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 work. And then take off for a month or something and just disappear into the world. And I not being able to do that, it like, it just became glaringly obvious that I actually had nothing else I was doing.
0: No, I think that that's the thing as well. Like the last couple of years have maybe stripped away some of those hobbies or some of those options that hopefully as things continue, yeah. um, some of those, options and sort of resume, you know, travel, find new hobbies. Um, I think, I don't know why we asked that question. I think it's a funny question to ask people about hobbies. Like I have no hobbies either. I've been reading and so when people are like, what else do you do? And you're like, well, what do you mean? What else do I do? I just like hang out and read, um, and have yeah. a kid. No, and some I don't people know. like,
2: I, there are some, you know, some people have like, you know, they make jewelry or mm-hmm. they have a greeting card you know i also i think i'm terrible like i've convinced myself that there's never any reason to put any effort into anything that wouldn't eventually monetize itself which is also wrong like i um i'm a i'm a certified tea sommelier i am that so i had a like i i know a thing or two about tea and again it was always this thing of like well what am i gonna do with this i should start a tea company i should you know and it's like i why can't i just enjoy tea and talking about tea (laughs) And yeah. teaching people about tea. who, it's
3: who that it's that actor mentality and grind coming back to you that you're like yes. how can I monetize the skills right. that I have
0: right <laughs> yeah, that motivation yeah. but I do think I think something that hopefully I mean I certainly learned of the last few years with so many things sort of stripped away is that um yeah you can do things just for the for the fun of it with no goal or purpose specifically around it you could just try it i try a lot of things that i'm really bad at and that is a task in and of itself to be like should i even bother
2: do Do i need to get better at this
0: right (laughs) exactly
2: yeah
3: Yeah. um i'm here with another sophie's choice question for you since you mentioned that the thing you love to do is is cook in your free time do you have a favorite recipe (laughs) <laughs> oh God! Or something that um, if you're going to a friend's house, they say, "Hey, can you bring that?"
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm known for my ginger cookies. Um oh. I also make a yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> I also make okay. Um, I yeah, I'll have to find. I'll send it to you. I Thank um, you. but so that's really the thing that like most people ask me for. I also. At this point, I'm one of those when I'm cooking, it's not really a recipe so much as just feeling my way through something. Um, I find recipes generally kind of fussy and then I end up messing with them anyway. And it's like someone is like, what is this? And I'm like, well, it's sort of this thing. Mm -hmm. But then it's whatever I had in my fridge. Um, But yeah, with baking, not so much baking. You kind of have to adhere. So I think the ginger cookies, um, I also make a really good beet dip um oh. that came from a friend of mine uh, who's uh, an Aussie and um I don't know how much how how much of an Australian thing it is I just always think of it as being Australian and she could be like the one person in Australia who makes it <laughs> for all I know but um yeah that's good that,
3: that also sounds delicious I mm-hmm. ap- appreciate you saying that as well I am a person who cannot follow a recipe to save his life mainly because my intuition is so much better than whatever is on that page. If I pick up a recipe, I go like, none of these amounts are right. I just, I know it's going to need more of everything. So I just do that anyway. And then halfway through, I go, do I really need this ingredient when I could use it? Yeah. It,
2: this is, this is so off topic, but this is actually, I think the last time I had a hobby, which is that when I first graduated from college and, you know, it's like you come back, I was coming back into on-camera acting and the pressure of that. And I was like, I got to get my life together. Like <laughs> I can't keep eating like I'm in college. And so I signed up for a CSA, a community supported agriculture bag of produce and it's Southern California. So the produce is amazing year round. And so every week I would get this bag of produce, but like, it's so haphazard and it's so random, um, that you just kind of have to get good at using it. So I'd be like, okay, I have three sweet potatoes and a leek and some fennel. And it was like, I'd be Googling, like, what do I do with all of this? And that's how I became the cook that I am, um, just from, from that. And it's like, that was a great early twenties activity
3: honestly a- absolutely and you gotta love a good csa oh, oh. the best the best here i just settle for a solid farmer's market <laughs>
2: <laughs> but even then it's like you're not you don't have the creativity because you go in being like okay i'm gonna get these tomatoes and then 25 later you're like what else can i
3: right yeah. <laughs> i i need the chopped challenge to be like here's your basket of ingredients make dinner or starve yeah so. I'm so with good.
2: you on
1: that. <laughs> I feel like I would just make a lot of soup. Like I would just like dump all the ingredients in a pot yes. and just like
2: that is let it cook. 110% yes. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of soup in those years. Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, now, before we wrap up, I was wondering if you wanted to let our listeners know where they can find you online if they wanted to follow or, or connect with you in any way.
2: Oh, sure. I think I'm consistent across all platforms, which is at just Julia Whelan. Um, and I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I've just dipped a toe into TikTok, um, but find it completely overwhelming. And uh, I like, don't even know how to do things. I just did something the other day that like people actually watched. <laughs> I was like, how did I, how did that happen?
1: So. And- Yeah, that sounds about right. TikTok is very overwhelming. Yeah,
2: Yeah. especially book talk. Like it's, there's a lot of like overwhelming love. And then there's a lot of mean girls lurking. That's what I've seen. And I'm just sort of like, oh, I don't know if this is my, I still like Instagram where everyone's like, look at this pretty scarf I knit with the cover of the book next to it. Like I didn't, this one wasn't personally for me. That kind of thing. TikTok is just like hated it. (laughs) Yeah, TikTok can be very extreme. We mm-hmm. actually
0: did an episode on book talk uh, a few months ago, just like on its influence, and it's there are some very strong opinions uh, in regards to books. And we got some comments after the episode, like "Can't believe you talked about this book," and we're like, "Okay,
2: yes." okay like what was Instagram just not militant enough for these people like that's kind of where I'm at is just like was that why this is this all happened book talk happened because people weren't mean enough on Instagram I'm just I think I don't know
0: there were too many uh just nice visuals of rainbow bookshelves yeah because
2: even when someone's like I didn't really like this there's the picture is still really pretty yeah exactly (laughs) What was my mind anyway? So I'm not sure how, how much, how active I'm going to be on that. Um, but, uh, I'm there.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And so, um, to wrap us up, we know that the latecomer, again, this is by Jean Homph correlates. This is your most uh, recent audiobook project. It comes out May 31st. And I'm just wondering if there is anything else that you are working on right now that you can share with us.
2: So <sighs> I go to my calendar. <laughs> Like I said, it, you know, this is part of the problem of being like four months ahead of things. Um,
3: I mean, I've heard that uh, the listening, it, or uh, nope, nope looked at, read nope. that totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening is coming out August 2nd
2: mm-hmm.
3: by oh, someone my book, yes. by somebody might be on this call. <laughs>
2: somebody that you may recognize. I literally had a moment where I was like, I'm not remembering that one. Okay, yeah. So um, yes, that is coming out August 2nd. But before that- also on the 31st, I believe, um, wait a minute. I literally just made a note of this. The latecomer. Um, I have um, Angel of Rome, which is just uh, Walter has a new collection coming out that I co-narrated with Eduardo Ballerini. Um, and the title story in that the angel of Rome is actually a story they co-wrote together. So it was super fun to jump in with those two geniuses who I adore. Um, the measure is coming out this summer. Um, one of those great thought experiment books, like it invites everyone to jump into the premise and debate what they would do in that situation. So love the measure. Um, yeah, I mean I just I just keep I keep going. <laughs> I will it will come to me. The other thing that's coming out it's next.
3: Julia, week. it's Yerba Buena.
2: Yes, the other McMill. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you, Joe. So next, uh yeah. So on the 31st, we have um The Latecomer and Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour. And it's her adult novel, and it is so beautiful. So beautiful. Um And yeah,
3: Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to the three of us today. And of course, once again, can't not shout you out as well. Uh, Your book is coming out in August. Hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to you about that as well.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I like when I'm doing these things for other books and other, I like to kind of keep a line um, whenever of I course. can between them. So I'm happy to come back and talk uh, for sure about that. Cause it's a very meta book. Um, and uh, I'm, I love it, but uh, this, this one honestly really, really stayed with me. And I, I think about it to this day and I just, I love the writing so much. And it was such a pleasure to be in this book.
0: No, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about The Latecomer and a few other things about the audiobook industry and narrating. This is really excellent timing um, because as we said, The Latecomer comes out May 31st, um, but we also kick off June as audiobook month. um, So this is really good timing for both of those things. Right. Right. That's right.
2: (laughs) June is audiobook month, isn't it? Sometimes
3: we plan a little ahead. <laughs> I should have
2: planned a little ahead, considering this is the year where I actually have a book about audiobooks coming out. That would have been that would have been smart.
1: Okay. Oh. You can do a TikTok about it. How about that?
3: There you okay. go. Exactly.
1: No. <laughs>
3: you could do a month worth of
1: TikToks. <laughs> oh, oh my God.
0: No Maybe an that. Instagram reel instead. Right. Yeah. That's like a
2: That's
1: my speed. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you all readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcast.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by emma dwyer jill grunewald and joe skelly and presented by overdrive to learn more visit professionalbooknerds.com